Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you are encouraged by this message from the Nichols Road Campus. For more info, look us up at newdaycommunity.org. Thanks, Bill. It was uh, great to have uh, Jimmy McKee here last week. There we go. Had to stabilize the table. Uh, Jimmy uh, McKee was here last week and shared about the uh, uh, the arrival of the Messiah, Jesus, and the Gospels. And so we are uh, quickly advancing through the arc of the story of the Bible, the story uh, arc of, uh, beginning at the creation, going all the way to new creation. And this week, <clears throat> we get to talk about the birth of the church. So I want to jump right in. And uh, Jesus concluded his earthly ministry. We read in the book of Matthew, these are the final words of Jesus before he ascended into heaven. And he was speaking with his disciples who had met him on the mountain, which he had uh, told him to go to. It says, Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even till the end of the age. Amen. And so we see this is the conclusion of Jesus' earthly ministry, but it's also the transition into the ministry of the church. Some uh, theologians call it the church age. And guess what? That's where we are right now. We're in the church age. We are in the age of the church, and we are continuing to live. So this is like, this is our origin story as a church. This is where the church begins. And uh, Jesus' final command there, that commission, is actually reclaiming the original mandate God gave to mankind. When he said to Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it and have dominion on earth. So when Jesus talks about his authority and giving his authority to his people to go multiply, to go make disciples to the ends of the earth, it's actually restating and reinstituting the original mandate that God had given to mankind. What Adam lost in the fall, Christ redeemed on the cross and then the resurrection hallelujah we're going to celebrate resurrection is this good news are you happy about this give me some feedback what adam lost in the fall christ redeemed on the cross and then the resurrection come on and now we're commissioned church to walk in the authority of christ all that was lost in Adam's mistake in those years, those ages, those generations of despair and destruction, of hope and failure, Jesus comes and restores the authority, the mandate, and he hands the mantle to you and I, to the church. I think that's pretty exciting. All right, and it repeats the pattern here that we've seen throughout the ark. One of the things I've tried to emphasize in each 
a section of, of the story of the Bible where God chooses a person to lead a people to bring blessing to the world. And of course, Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of that and that he is, he is the person, he is the one who leads mankind into the fullest of blessing possible. And now as his followers, we are to continue by making disciples that will continue this process. We are to lead people. He commissions his disciples to make disciples, to lead people, and to communicate that blessing, the message of blessing, to the ends of the earth. And we see this actually happen in the book of Acts. Uh, in Acts chapter 1, which is Luke, uh, the, uh, the author of the Gospel of Luke, also wrote the book of Acts. And uh, he writes... Um, adding to that same uh, encounter when Jesus was uh, giving the Great Commission and ascending uh, into heaven, he adds that you shall, Jesus told his disciples that they shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon them, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And this is actually the fulfillment of Jesus' words earlier recorded when he uh, prophesied when he spoke over his disciples. It was actually after he was resurrected. Um, he said to his disciples, Peace uh, be to you. As the Father sent me, I also send you. And he breathed on him and he said, Receive the Holy Spirit. And so he, he did that at that moment, but they didn't receive it yet until Pentecost, which is what we're about to, to get to. <clears throat> Jesus uh, sends his disciples in the same way that the Father sent him. That's the big point. All right? In the same manner in which God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, Right? That's God sending Jesus to the world. Jesus now says, I so love the world that I'm sending you, disciples, to be my witnesses to the ends of the earth, empowered by the Holy Spirit. You know, Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit, even from the womb, without measure, the Bible tells us. And so we're empowered by the Holy Spirit as Jesus was empowered by the Holy Spirit to preach the kingdom of of God as Jesus was commissioned to preach the kingdom and we're to do it to the ends of the earth. Acts, the book of Acts, actually covers over 30 years of church history. And so if you remember, certain books of the Old Testament were, were books of history. Well, this is the New Testament book of history and it covers just a, a section, a 30-year period when the, from the birth of the church to the, um, you know, through those first few decades. When you read it, I actually didn't know it covered that long of a period uh, until, you know, many, many years after I was a Christian, and it shocked me. Because you read it, you think this is all happening in a matter of a few days. <laughs> and I wish they'd put dates, but they, uh, they didn't. <laughs> And so historians uh, go back and align references to different certain historical events. And uh, Luke is considered one of the most accurate historical authors of all times because there's never been an archaeological find that contradicts anything that, that Luke states in, in the gospel or, the, or Acts or, in fact, the whole of the New Testament. In fact, uh, countless archaeological finds uh, affirm 
things that we have uh, known from Scripture for many years. So, <clears throat> so, so we see 30 years of history unfold as a church uh, is birthed and then um, uh, expands its influence in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and actually to some degree to the ends of the earth even within that 30 years. So the birth of the church is recognized. The actual moment is the day of Pentecost. Uh, and I'll explain what that is after I read this passage. It's, summer, it's uh, explained in Acts chapter 2, verse 1 through 8. It says, when the day of Pentecost, which was a Jewish feast, had fully come, they were with, they being all the disciples, uh, and it was uh, at that point about 120, we estimate, in the upper room, but certainly the 12 or the, the 11 plus the guy they elected. <laughs> That's where the election fits in. Forget it. (laughs) Okay. I got to keep going. I can't slow down. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were were all with one accord in one place. I'm sorry. (laughs) And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the whole house where they were uh, sitting. Uh, then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire, and one sat on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with t- other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And they were dwelling, in, uh, and, and there uh, were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. Uh, and when the sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. They were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? So there was a supernatural outpouring of the Holy Spirit that caused the disciples and particularly uh, the Jesus's uh, apostles that he had appointed to uh, begin speaking in unknown tongues. And um, one thing that I like to clarify, some people have different opinions on this, is that um, there were only, uh, you know, a dozen of these guys speaking, but the multitude, people from all the nations heard in their own language. And so I believe that they were speaking in tongues, the glossolalia that is explained in other places in the New Testament, and there was a miracle of interpretation given to each individual because the Ethiopian heard in Ethiopian, and the Greek heard in Greek, and the, uh, you know, the guy from uh, Spain heard in probably whatever language they were speaking in Spain, probably Latin at that point. <laughs> Italians were speaking in Latin, right? The, era, the people, the locals heard it in Aramaic, and so all the nations heard simultaneously what was speaking, uh, spoken uh, and the uh, the disciples were just, they didn't even know what was going on. They were experiencing this overwhelming uh, thing where fire was on their head and rushing wind. And there's lots of symbolism there that ties this event into significant historical events throughout the Old Testament. And if I had a few hours, I could talk about all of them. But I don't. (laughs) That powerful experience gathered the multitude to the disciples. It caught their attention. All right? 
which is what signs and wonders are meant to do. Get people's attention. Then what? Well, then Peter stood up and preached. Okay, he didn't keep talking in tongues. He told them a message. And he preached a powerful message. This is an excerpt of it. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourself also know. Him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands and crucified and put to death. Whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. This Jesus, God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God, and having received uh, from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this, which you now see and hear. And so... Peter is saying this, this, this outpouring, this, this, these miracles of fire, of wind, of, of unknown tongues, this power that's being seen, this is the Holy Spirit, evidence of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, which is visible and audible. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And now when the crowd heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises to you, to your children and to all who are far off uh, as the Lord our God will call. What we see here is the gospel <clears throat> being preached. And the Old Testament festival of Pentecost, one of the, uh, the three primary times of feasting that God required Israelites, all the Israelites to go to Jerusalem and to do this uh, uh, incredible feast was a celebration of the harvest. And I think it's a fitting parallel that this happened on Pentecost. Um, uh, celebrating the harvest of souls. So in the Old Testament, it celebrated the natural harvest, the wheat harvest, when they would bring in the, 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 the fruit of the fields. And here we're celebrating the harvest of the souls when God is bringing in the, the people uh, into salvation through the ministry of the church. The Pentecost celebration also commemorated the receiving of the law at Mount Sinai. And so in the Jewish tradition, it, it celebrated the, uh, the harvest, but also was an annual commemoration of when they were at Mount Sinai and God showed up in fire, right, in power and it delivered uh, to Moses the law. Well, the New Testament fulfillment that in the New Testament Pentecost, the law is written in our heart by the work of the Holy Spirit which was prophesied would happen in the Old Testament. And so it's at Pentecost where God does that transformation of our souls when we come to him. And we see in Peter's sermon the emphasis, the message was on Jesus' ministry, his crucifixion, and his resurrection. He gets right to the point. And then the required response of repentance, baptism, and receiving the Holy Spirit. And so this is a template, folks, 
for what the gospel is, for what the church has been preaching. The message of the church must continue to be the ministry, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and our call to repent from living life under our own rules, our own ideas, and come into alignment with God's will and accept Jesus as Lord in Christ to be baptized into him and to receive the power of the Holy Spirit. And yes, the church is called to do a lot of other things and and, and minister in different ways, ultimately to get to the point where we can communicate this message. Are you hearing me? And so often people try to make the church's agenda be something other than what Jesus called our agenda to be. And we have to stay true. And we see it clearly here in Peter's sermon. And so the outcome of preaching this message is the formation of a new community. Uh, not defined by ethnicity, and that was a primary definition in the Old Covenant when God selected the nation of, Asia, uh, uh, nation of Israel, the descendants of Abraham. And uh, again, in that part of the arc of the story, it was for a particular purpose. It was to bring forth the Messiah, which has now been accomplished. And then the, the, the follow-through of that is a new community is formed, not defined by ethnicity or speaking a particular language like Hebrew, uh, but by shared belief in the person of Jesus Christ and what he accomplished. And uh, again, right there in the beginning of Acts, Acts 2.42 through 47, describes the new community And in this uh, short verse, what I'm going to read right now, it has all of the essential elements of what it means to be a church. And I have like a five-hour teaching on this that I do all over the world when I go teach pastors. But you're going to get it in two minutes. (laughs) Actually, I'm just going to read the verse. Uh, So each one, there's 12 things are underlined. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. Then fear and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. All who believed were together. They had all things in common. They sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Not only I, but many church theologians, pastors, and leaders have looked to that section of Scripture as the template for what church should look like. These are the ingredients that a healthy church must really have operating, have uh, being done in order to be a church. And if we lack some of them, then we're lacking some of the essential ingredients. It's like, you know, when you bake a cake, you need to put all the ingredients or else you don't end up with a cake. Have you ever done that? You just end up with this. It's just a weird substance. (laughs) You throw it away, right? You need all the ingredients in order to get the recipe right. And those are the ingredients for the church. And they did it. And we saw it. And the result was the church grew quickly, but they also encountered significant opposition from the Jewish leaders. Peter and John are arrested Uh, They were uh, healing the sick and preaching the gospel, and religious leaders were very upset. 
Um, uh, uh, they were arrested but, and threatened, but uh, they said, you know, what shall we do? The will of man or the will of God? So they, they kept preaching the gospel. People continued to get saved. Uh, lots of miracles were happening. Uh, the church uh, grew rapidly, but in this season, the, the, the years that are covered in the first few chapters of Acts, it, st- it remains mostly in Jerusalem. And it's mainly uh, Jews, because at that time, almost the entire population of Jerusalem was Jews for the Roman uh, 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 government and, and soldiers that were living there. And so the church was mainly a sect within the Jewish uh, Hebrew religion. But some things happen over the course of the next uh, few chapters, chapters 8 through 12, that create a turning point in the book of Acts. First of all, Stephen and James, Stephen was one of the deacons um, chosen to serve food, but he quickly rose to be a significant uh, minister of the gospel. And one of the longest sermons in scripture is Stephen's message that he delivered to the Jews before they stoned him. But he and James, James, the brother of John, the sons of thunder, James was the first of the 12 to be martyred. Both of them are martyred, uh, put to death. And so the persecution intensifies. And we meet this character, Saul, who was there when Stephen was stoned, and he approved of that. He says they, were, they laid their coats at his feet. And so the symbology, symbolism there is that he was standing in approval representing a Jewish authority. <clears throat> we believe that he was a, uh, a Pharisee and of some stature. Uh, and so... He was there and begins to assault the church. Uh, Saul, who was there when Stephen was uh, stoned, but also led the charge, literally going from house to house, from village to village, arresting and imprisoning Christians for their faith, ends up encountering Jesus himself powerfully, literally gets knocked off his horse. And it's a great story. I wish I had time to tell you but you know what? The book is better than the sermon. Read the story yourself. Um, uh, so he's transformed. <clears throat> Peter also in the same time, all these things happen in the same uh, section of Acts. And Acts is presented in a way to, 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 to give you, you know, it's written very, very well. Uh, that we see that there's a shift in the focus from the Jewish reaching the Jews in Jerusalem to now reaching the world, the next step from Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria, starting to get outside of their bubble. Peter has this powerful vision where God tells him to eat unclean food, which was against the um, kosher rules, the Old Testament uh, ceremonial laws. And God said to him, what God has cleansed, you must not call common. And that was repeated several times. And immediately after he had that vision of eating these unclean things like bacon and and seafood. (laughs) Aren't you glad we live in the New Testament? Come on. (laughs) Immediately, um, Immediately after that experience, he was summoned by a prominent Gentile, Cornelius, of the, uh, an Italian guy, uh, to come to his household because he wanted to hear the message of Jesus. And so Peter goes, 
with a few of his friends, and they all, while he's preaching the gospel, the whole group of these Gentiles not only accept Jesus, but get filled with the Holy Spirit. And the same thing that happened on Pentecost with the disciples of them speaking in tongues happened to the Gentiles. And so Peter baptized them. He says, well, I guess that's what we've got to do. All right, this was radical for Peter. This was just this earth-shattering, just theological you know, sledgehammer coming to say what you received, the Gentiles are to receive an equal measure. And so he then goes back and explains <clears throat> to the rest of the Christians, especially the leaders, this revelation that God intends the gospel to, to go to the Gentiles. Of course, it was prophesied all the way through the Old Testament. Jesus talked about it even in the Great Commission. But like you and I, sometimes we need to hear things multiple times and in different ways, and we have to experience it before we get, begin to realize what this actually means. At the same time, Herod begins to significantly increase the persecution, and that causes many Christians living in Jerusalem to flee for their lives. Uh, but that results in the spreading of the gospel because when they go to the other cities, they set up Christian communities called churches. That's what we call them now. They didn't call them that then, uh, but uh, they do now and, and, and preach the gospel. More people get saved. And right about this time, about 300 miles north of Jerusalem in a city called Antioch, uh, a church grows. It's now in what is part of a very southern part of Turkey. And it becomes the center of the church, even though most of the uh, apostles choose to remain in Jerusalem. The church in Antioch becomes a primary base. From this point on throughout Acts, really everything happens out of Antioch. And that's the second half of Acts chapter 13 through 28. The focus shifts from what Peter was doing in Jerusalem, in the church in Jerusalem, to what Paul, formerly called Saul, now that he's a Christian, he begins going by the new name Paul, and the spread of the church out into the Gentile world. It was from the base church in Antioch that God sent Paul on three great missionary journeys. Um, And that makes up the story. The story of those three journeys is the storyline of the rest of the book of Acts. Uh, And that's half the book. Paul's journeys with the various uh, associates, such as uh, uh, Barnabas, Silas, Timothy, lots of other guys that go with him, um, establishing churches wherever they go, and then later returning to many of those churches to strengthen Sometimes he's in a city just for a few days, gets a church going, and often has to run away because uh, the Jews come after him to try to kill him. Sometimes he stays for years and establishes a training center. In Ephesus, he stayed for about three years and uh, started with a group of a dozen guys and ended up uh, reaching every, all of Asia Minor was reached with the gospel by Paul training people, sending them out to the uh, villages in that region. So we see the New Testament pattern of churches planting churches by sending out their best to reproduce what God has done. Get this? That's a big idea. It's really important. Okay? We see in Acts how God intends the church to go. Now remember, in the Old Testament, everyone was called to come to Jerusalem. It was Jerusalem-centric. 
okay? In that God's temple was in Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the center of the nation of Israel, the, God's people. And so there was a, a, a requirement to come to in, in order to encounter God. And Jimmy, I thought, did a great job last week talking about the, uh, the necessity of a religious system to mediate the presence of God because mankind had lost access to the presence of God. But in the new covenant, there's a massive shift. It's no longer coming to, but it's a going out And so now we as ambassadors and as the temple of God individually as well as corporately are called to go out to the world. And so there's a massive shift from a coming in to now a going out. And why the change? Because the Messiah has come. All right. We're now on the offensive Right? We are to conquer. We are to extend the boundaries. The old covenant people were not allowed to extend the boundaries of Israel. They had to protect the boundaries. Why? Because they were protecting the seed. But once the seed came, the Messiah came. Now we have reacquired the mandate from God to have dominion over the world, not in a natural sense, but in a spiritual sense, in order to rule in our own authority, but to be ambassadors and ministers of Christ's authority, bringing the message of hope and salvation to the whole world. That's a pretty big deal. Somebody say amen. <laughs> There's whole books written on this. Really, you should read a few. Okay, so Acts concludes with Paul being arrested uh, and taken to Rome to appear before Caesar. He spends two years there under house arrest awaiting his appeal to Caesar, but using this time to preach the gospel. So and that's, that's actually where it ends. It, it, it's almost an unfinished, it is an unfinished story because he, 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 he's sitting in his house uh, preaching the gospel for a couple of years. We learn through church history that he was released and continued to minister, but then was um, beheaded by Nero uh, a number of years later. And the final quote of Paul in Acts, I think, is really telling. It's, he was speaking to the Jewish leaders in Rome, and they refused to agree to the message of the gospel. And he says in Acts 28, 28, says, Therefore, let it be known to you that the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will hear it. It's the last thing Paul says, and it transitions us to the rest of the New Testament where there's this shift. There's a major theological shift where um, the gospel is for the, uh, uh, to be distributed to every nation, every ethnicity, every person, every man, woman, and child on planet Earth. And Paul prophesies, listen, guys, they're going to hear it. They're going to hear it. And, and from that moment forward... They have, uh, um, I forget the actual number, approximately 3 billion people on planet Earth uh, confess Jesus Christ as their Lord. That's about half of the population of the planet. Uh, Billions, 
All right. And so the gospel is working. Okay, got to get through the rest of this. Jesus in this part of the uh, ark, of course, Jesus is active throughout the book of Acts. He's the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Um, as John the Baptist prophesied, John said, I baptize with water, but one is coming who's greater than I will baptize with uh, the Holy Spirit and fire. And that's exactly what happened. All the miracles in the book of Acts are displays of the power of Jesus acting through his people, the church. And Jesus actually appears a number of times in or speaks to individuals. Uh, he appeared to Saul at his conversion. He, he spoke to Peter during that uh, that uh, vision where he got the revelation about the Gentiles. He numerous times, you know, gives Paul encouragement and direction as they work to spread the gospel. It's kind of like Jesus kind of, you know, nudging them along. The big idea is that Jesus's ministry, Jesus's presence through Acts and that his ministry is continuing through the Acts of the Apostles and the work of the church as they spread the gospel in response to the commission that they were given. What this means for us, what this means for you and I, how can we apply this in our lives? And I, I challenge, I hope, I hope you're challenged by this. So, you know, the Old Testament people of God lived in remembrance of their deliverance from Egypt and the giving of the law and lived in expectation of the Messiah who would come and complete the work, right? Their whole, that whole life was lived in that tension. And now we in the New Testament continue to live. We, we celebrate our deliverance, not from a natural enemy like Egypt, but from the enemy of sin and Satan that Jesus accomplished on the cross, right? That happened historically. That was something submitted in the past. But we also look forward. We live in expectation of Christ's return when he'll come and completely eradicate the works of the enemy, the world, and sin, and Satan, okay? So we also live in a similar tension. Acts shows us those initial believers, and it wasn't just a few, it was 30 years of faithfulness of them taking the Great Commission seriously when Jesus says, go, therefore make disciples of all nations. They did it, and we see how they did it. So I ask you, how are you doing it? How are we doing it? In what ways are we doing the, the Great Commission on a daily basis, on a weekly basis. We're not exempt, all right? This is Jesus' final command. Go! Make disciples. It doesn't mean you have to go across worlds. Occasionally, God selects a few people to go somewhere else, all right? Most Christians, you need to go across your street, or you need to go across the aisle in the grocery store, all right? You need to go across the table at your workplace and talk to your coworker. Right? And that's actually harder than going to another country because they're all strangers and you always come back home. But you got to witness to people that you live with, that see your life. It's actually more powerful too, has greater fruit. Can we share examples of how we've sacrificed our, in our lives like the earthly church did to go and make disciples? When you read those stories in Acts, what are your stories of going and making disciples? And how can we practically and regularly demonstrate that we're teaching others to observe Jesus' command? And as a mom or a dad teaching your kids, 
that rocks. That's one of the most primary ways. But that can't be the only way. And if you're beyond, you're not in that stage yet or out of that stage, you need to find ways where you can communicate Jesus' commands to others, as well as learning how to implement them yourselves in your own life. All right, finally, it says, uh, uh, I challenge you to ask yourself, in what way can we point to Jesus being with us? When he said, lo, I'm be with you always, right? Are we living in God's presence in the presence of Jesus, in the very way that Jesus uh, intended when he said that to his disciples, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. We need to live in the presence of Jesus. We need to be ambassadors for Christ, but also we're the temple of Christ. We are the image bearers of God, and we need to carry that presence into the world wherever we go.